Hey there, this is Chris Perry. I am the Commissioner of the Western Collegiate Hockey League, and this is episode 321 of the WCHL podcast. This is going to be a special episode. We're not going to have our normal idiotic banter between uh, myself and my partner in crime, Andrew. Instead, we got a special guest. He's the head coach of the University of Arizona Wildcats, Chad Berman. So let's hear some crunchy guitars, and we'll get right to talking to Coach Berman. Hold on there. Hey, this is Chris Perry. I'm the commissioner of the Western Collegiate Hockey League, and today we have a special guest. It's the coach, the head coach of the WCHL champions for the 2018-2019 season, the University of Arizona Wildcats, Mr. Chad Berman, live from Tucson, Arizona. Coach, how's it going? Well, how better? That was a nice intro. It's got a nice ring to it. Thanks. Yeah, not not bad. You kind of like having that champions yeah. right before you, huh? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Well, what? Well, congratulations! Thank Tell you. me, we we you won the championship uh, on Saturday. We're talking now a couple of days later. You had to have celebrated. You have to have done something special to celebrate the occasion. <laughs> um, I I took the trophy home, um, put one beer in it, and then I got so tired I fell asleep. Um, <laughs> and then I let the boys take it out uh, the last couple nights, and uh, I actually just now got it back about an hour ago. Um, so maybe we'll see what we can do this weekend here. How, how many pieces is that bad boy in? Oh, it's intact. I made, uh, several threats and they seem to have bought in. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it was clean to an alarming degree too. So I'm sure, I'm sure they had fun. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Well, they, they, yeah. that, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I'm glad they had fun. You know, I, I mentioned on a, on a previous podcast, boy, I felt like such a doofus out there on the ice because I had, I've got here, I've got the trophy. And you know the trophy has a has a base with it, and so we called Charlie James over the lone senior to get the trophy. Yeah, and then we called your captain uh, or your alternate captain since uh, Cusinelli's over in Russia. We called Manny Rowe over there to get the base, and I felt like such a doofus giving the base to to Manny. <laughs> here, here he is; he wants the cup. He doesn't want to walk around with a big old piece of walnut. Uh, he's more so, of a base guy. If you see him rocking in uh, Converse shoes, he does everything a little different. So that actually that works pretty well. Well, hope, hope, I, I apologize to Manny again. Um, next next time we go through this, um, I'll be sure to just to hand out the cup, and we'll we'll hold on to the base until the big picture. I, so, I hope this uh, is something we can uh, continue to do. So that'd be a good problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Chad Berman. Um, before you became the head coach at the University of Arizona, you obviously you played hockey yourself. Where did you where did you play? Uh, how did you get into the game? You're from Kentwood, Michigan. I know you played juniors. You played some college. Give us the uh, Reader's Digest thumbnail version of Chad Berman, the hockey player. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I played some junior B in there when I was like 16. And then um, after Zombo cut me for the third straight time, I ended up jumping on a team in Toledo in the junior A team. Uh, and that kind of, I kind of found a coach who believed in me and it launched a lot of confidence and allowed me to. Um, uh, I guess play my game and feel comfortable in doing so. It, it really helps when you have a coach that believes in you, obviously. Um, and I had a really successful year there in my 18 year um, and put up like 107 points in 50 games. So uh, wow. we won a cha- we won a championship, and it was kind of like uh, 
it was kind of like getting cut is what I needed to, to really motivate me. I've, I've always been a harder worker than I have been talented, but that one really, I want, I really wanted to get in the North American league. So um, I was due to that success. I got a little bit of attention and was able to then get into the North American league in my last year of eligibility. And I played for the Springfield spirit in the North American league um, back when there were six teams and boy, is that different now? Um <laughs> So I played there until literally the, on the trade deadline, I got traded to Lansing Capital Center Pride, which was kind of nice to go home and join a team that was making a playoff push and all that. And, and to be honest, in hindsight, it's kind of cool just to say I've had the experience of being traded, and it's definitely an experience of getting a voicemail saying, hey, be in Lansing by uh, by noon tomorrow. Okay, better, better start packing. So, um, <laughs> and, and it gives you – and as a coach, it gives me some experience. Sometimes we add players at semester break, and I know how strange it is to join a team, and so it gives me a little bit of context in that regard. But uh, played at uh, Cap Center there um, under Coach Blum. Uh, had a good time there. And then uh, then I played Division three hockey at Fredonia State in New York with a, a bunch of my buddies from juniors. Um, we had a really good team. We were about – I think we got up to six in the country at the time. And I um, had a lot of fun there, and, uh, you know, it's a fun place to play hockey. It's, uh, it was a good experience there. And, um, unfortunately, going into my sophomore year, I, uh, they found a heart problem and basically had a doctor tell me your, your days of playing hockey are over, and that's where life got strange because ever since I was five years old, the next thing I did was something to do with hockey. Um, and I was a bit lost, to say the least, um, and I – and at the time, I'd been playing like cover music um, in the bars there at Fredonia and making money. And it was an, an awesome college get, gig. You get like two, four hundred dollars to play cover songs, and they'd uh, give you a free tab, which is awesome when you're in college. Yeah. Um, and, and then I, so I just decided, well, I guess I'm going to give that a go. I moved to Chicago to uh, be a singer songwriter, and went through that whole process. Worked for the Cubs for a bit. And quite honestly, accidentally fell into an assistant coaching job um, at Robert Morris University with uh, under Chico. And that was absolutely the best thing that has helped to my uh, coaching development. Um, and to, to learn under that guy for four years is absolutely priceless. If, if, you're, if anyone out there wants to get into coaching, find a mentor. It's so critical. Um, knowing what to do and knowing how to teach what to do are two different things. And so find a mentor. But um, that really kind of launched me into coaching. And I fell for it and somehow I ended up in the desert and here we are here we are here you are champ- champion uh somehow in the desert that's uh there's a lot to unpack there so so yeah. tell me I mean uh you 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 played for coach Zombo is that Rick Zombo who's now coaching at Lindenwood I yeah and I didn't get to play for him I got I got cut I made his main camp three years in a row and and um and I didn't make the team all three years but I'll say this um he I learned something from him as well um, the importance of telling players what they need to hear and not what they want to hear. And, and he told me something that I really needed to hear. Um, he said, you're, Chad, you're good at everything. You're great at nothing. And, and I needed to hear that because I really then committed to um, uh, sand dune runs and exploding my legs. And that's how I kind of learned to drive the net, make more per, higher percentage plays. And, um, and I made a huge statistical jump. So sometimes um, it's your failures are your best teachers. Have you had a chance to now? Now that you've been in the ACHA for quite a while, um, have you had a chance to to talk to Rick about that uh, experience? I briefly did. I don't. You know, <laughs> he, I, I don't know. I don't know. That he cares really. So um, <laughs> I, I did briefly. Um, not much. He, he, Rick's a good guy. Uh, he's a good coach. He's um, obviously got a great program there. Um, and so I, I did briefly, but you know, not too much. Well, I just didn't know if he if he even remembered it or. 
you know, it was obviously something that, that you remembered and yeah. you, you, you took from, but uh, I, I didn't know, the reason I asked, I didn't know if that was something that he remembered. And you also said you played for Coach Blum. Um, yeah, he's now coaching in the NCAA, isn't he? Or wasn't he? You know, I don't know. I'd lost track actually. I'm, he was a good coach too. I'm not sure where he ended up. Huh? And then yeah. you end up in at Fredonia state six in the nation. And you said you got some, some, the bad, uh, uh, you know, heart condition. They, they told you yeah. about how, tell, tell me, or I mean, I don't want to pry or, or yeah, no, I'm good get it. into the specifics, but I mean, was was there something that caused you to go to the doctor uh, or was yeah. this just a, a regular physical and they said hey who hey, wait a second here you've got an extra valve yeah uh, closer to the ladder so i was getting ready for my physical for my sophomore season and on a whim i had just explained to the lady that ever since i was a kid i would get strange chest pains when i would run long distance and to be uh, and it, uh, to be honest it ended up having nothing to do with what they found um, but because once you say that to a trainer, they're going to tell you, well, now I can't uh, clear you until you go see, get an echocardiogram. Uh, so I got an echocardiogram and they're like, well, the left side of your heart's a little larger than the, the other side, but that's completely normal for athletes. But now I can't clear you until you go to see a cardiologist. And so then I, they sent me over to the Cleveland Clinic. I ran some tests there, um, you know, um, talked to the doctor and the doctor's like, hey, I mean, you're healthy. I'm sure this is just precautionary why don't you head back we'll uh we'll give you a call about the updates and uh i was shocked i got a phone call they said we need you to come back and um very quickly my world came crashing down and they basically said that i had in uh the base of my aortic valve was enlarged and because there was no prior record of of whether or not it was growing or that's how i was born they don't know but because of that they couldn't clear me and would not clear me um and basically, he said, your, your days of playing hockey, unless you want to do it on your own professionally, um, are yours. But the risk you're taking is if you get hit, your heart would rupture and it would be an instant game over. So wow. very sobering conversation that pretty much um, changed the direction of my life altogether and actually brought a lot of positive. Well, in, in, t- tell me about that, because you're, you're getting ready to start school. Never mind hockey. You're, I mean, this yeah. is a life changing thing. You're what, 21, 22 at the time? Yeah, I was probably 22. Um, I had already gone through the sophomore season um, preseason workouts. So it's like, dang it, I did all that stuff and I didn't get to enjoy it. Um, And it was literally like a week or two before the season started. I'll never forget. I had to address the team. It was really hard. And um, we were doing a team picture. And I remember just sitting in the locker room. Um, I probably sat in that locker room for an hour while they continued with practice just because I knew that once that equipment came off, it was never coming back on again. And that was a you know, it was, it was a hard, um, it was a hard, sobering moment. I didn't sleep an, an ounce that night. And although I wasn't dying, it makes you think about it. And it made me really um, reflect on what I'd done, what I'd wanted to do and what mattered to me. And, and literally in that night, I had come to the conclusion that no matter, no matter what I did moving forward, I was not going to chase money, um, that I was going to let money chase me and decide what I wanted to do and what I was passionate in um, and, and, and hopefully make money at it, but not um, not go to work to just make money and be miserable. Um, yeah. Not an office guy, if you couldn't tell. Um, <laughs> and and so I got into the singer songwriter thing, and and that is a wow, that is a lifestyle that I don't envy for those grinding that out. Um, it is tough, and I was like living three, four weeks at a time where the only food I had were the hot dogs I was stealing out of Wrigley Field because I was so broke. Um, really, and I had gotten another job at Glenview Country Club that didn't work out, and and literally the. The wow. week that I had lost that job, uh, for that's a whole other story. Um, 
I found out through Chico, hey, a job had come available. It was actually the RMU D2 job. Did it for two years. Then Chico's assistant left, and um, he's like, why don't you come work with me? And I knew the reputation of him and how smart he was, and I thought, boy, this is something I want to do. Um, and I, it was the first conversation with him. I just said, you know, this is something I want to do. I want to learn from you, so throw me in the fire as much as you can. And uh, boy, did he ever. And I, you know, I still talk to him weekly and pick his brain, and why wouldn't you? He was a uh, Chico coach for a long time. And we were talking about Chico Adratus, a longtime coach in the North American League. And then he was, uh, he moved on from there to Robert Morris, Illinois. And he was a longtime coach there for the Eagles um, until, in fact, I think this year uh, when he took retirement. Yep. But uh, he's he's been around the game for a long time, just a, a class act uh, on the ice. And he's always treated. Uh, he's always been a gentleman, and treated me with uh, with nothing but uh, kindness and respect. What? Um, so, did you when you were the Division Two coach there at RMU? Did you have to play? Is this kind of like a, a farm system where you had to play the same systems and the same styles as the Division One team, or were you able to, you know, kind of cut your own path there uh, as the Division Two coach and not necessarily follow what the big Division One team was doing? I think we, we tried to align as much as we could, but, um, you know, I was the assistant and actually the head guy wasn't there often and he would show up late. So I kind of, it kind of allowed me to get some experience in doing those things on my own, at least for the first half hour practice type of thing. But we would, we would align some things and philosophies and communicate on kids who could get called up. And I'd actually played in the North American league against Chico, uh, when he was with Danville. Um, and so had some, some knowledge of him and definitely heard of his reputation. Yeah, and he's uh, the reputation uh, th- that I knew was uh, of a goaltender maker. He could he could yeah. take a, a goaltender and, and turn him into a, an absolute stud. Yeah, um, I had would, first yeah. I had first row seats of that. I mean, I saw what he did with our goaltenders there, uh, Petrak and um, and and then and, uh, man, it, it really was impressive. And it's that was something I tried to absorb because you know you can talk to my goalies now. I'll tell them I'm I'm not a goalie coach. I I will give you a shooter's perspective, but I wanted to soak up as much as he could because I knew nothing about how to teach or talk to goalies or how to handle them. And um, still it's still a learning process. But uh, but uh, the most important things I learned from Chico were the importance of communication with your players. And man, he could just sit there and you'd sit there and have these community. We do, we do bus visits and I still do it now. I've taken it to my team and we talk to every single player on the bus trip home and talk about the pros, the cons, what we need, what we want. It allows them to get things off their chest. It prevents clicks, um, provides feedback. They feel like they're being heard. Just little things like that um, are, have been incredible. I mean, if you sit, if you ever get the chance to sit down and talk hockey with him, it's very humbling because you leave feeling like I didn't really know that much. and. <laughs> um, I've, I've used a lot of his stuff to this day. I mean, my PK is completely taken from him and I would never run anything else. And I, I think we're operating at like 92, 93% on our PK. And, um, uh, thanks cheeks. Yeah. He, uh, he's the, the, the one thing besides just being, a, a, a you know, very kind and always gen- uh, just a gentleman in all of my interactions with him. My, I only have one. Chico story, and I'd always knew that he was very passionate. Um, yeah, very, about, very. Worst loser you'll ever meet. Well, and and that's what it was. He he, I, it was in Columbus. It was two years ago, and he had just lost. Robert Morris had just lost. I think it was uh, a semifinal game. Um, it might have been in overtime or Stony Brook. Last, 
it, it maybe it was. I it, I know it was just yeah. at the death of the game. Too late I mean, to was, get goals, I think. Yeah. Yes, too late to get a goal. And, you know, it's the end of the season. It comes to a crashing halt. My job at that time was to go around and, you know, change out stuff on the team benches, get it ready for the next game. And the Robert Morris guys are already in their locker room uh, doing what, you know, the end of the season stuff, you know, what normally happens. And uh, I round the corner and there is uh, Chico and he's just sobbing uncontrollably. Yeah. And I, you know, he's a friend. Um, and I just felt awful for him and it, you, you wanted to go hug the guy, mm-hmm. but I also knew that, you know, he just didn't want, he probably didn't even know I was there and I, yeah. you know, and, and I didn't want to embarrass him or, or do anything. So I just, you know, quickly about face and got the heck out of the way and let him do his thing. But, uh, I'd always heard he was, as you just said, the, the worst loser and so passionate about his team and. Yeah, uh, it was just on full display right there, and uh, I, I, you know, what the respect that I had, uh, I, that I already had for the man, um, you know, just the 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 dial went up a couple of more notches after I saw that because it's one thing to just sit there and go, eh, the kids lost, on to the next game or on to yeah. the next season, you know, see you later, I'm through with these guys, but he, it was, it cut him right to the core just like it did the team. Every fiber in his body hates losing. And I know everybody says they hate losing. I absolutely despise losing. Um, but I've never met anybody who hates it this much. And he works so hard that he demands it. Um, and you'll never meet a coach who cares more about his players. I mean, you're sitting in the office and his phone would go off constantly. And it would be like Brett Lebda and just like old NHL guys, Anderson out of you know Ottawa, the goalie there, just checking in. Hey, here's what's going on. Give me some feedback. And he's still mentoring people. Um, I bugged the heck out of him. So, yeah, it's uh, he, he's a special guy. He's a great coach. I'm fortunate to work under him. And uh, um, I owe, you know, I, I certainly called him after we won our conference championship and just said, we're taking too many penalties. Thank goodness I watched, took and paid attention to your PK and everything you do. So he's special, <laughs> man. He's special mind. Very good. Very good. Well, how, how did it go um, when you transitioned from Robert Morris? You were then looking, you were the assistant with Chico, what, for four years there at Robert Morris? Yeah. And when you got there, what Robert Morris was, I don't know, I, if my memory serves right, they were in the teens in terms of rankings. But by the time you left, they were a you know, top five team. Yeah, I think we're actually um, in the mid-20s. We left ranked second. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did that um, – I mean, was it just a matter of Chico and Chad clicking or you know, getting, the, getting the right players? You know, what, what caused that uh, going from the mid-20s up to number two in the nation? Well, yeah, I certainly learned about structure and culture um, and, and watching how he built the team and, and how that happens. I mean, that was a that RMU team was really special. I still talk to those kids. You know, we made it to the national championship game and ironically lost to Arizona State um, and had to see that all happen. Um, that team was – I think we were – I believe we were second in the country when we finished that season, but we weren't the second most talented team. We probably weren't even top eight or ten. Um, he's – you know, Chico's just – my experience of watching is just—it's amazing, and I don't mean to make this whole thing about him, but this, it's amazing that <laughs> he just had a way of getting the absolute most out of every team. Like we—we we shouldn't have been ranked that high, we shouldn't have been in that game, but we expected to because we knew what we had. And and he in watching how he built that team, that and I've certainly taken that experience here. But uh, that was part of it. But you know, my challenge was 
how do I compliment this guy when he does everything so well? And again, I was a forward and he needed me to run D and I had just been get gotten into coaching. So I had to find a way to compliment him because I knew I had to find a way to contribute to the group and into the cause. Um, and through it, I kind of, I've almost then developed my own personal strength as a coach. And, and if I could, if I may say, it's probably developing defensemen now, um, only because I had been forced into trying to figure that out. And I, and I actually developed a, an entire um, plus minus grading system on the offensive blue line and the defensive blue line, which, which mainly was not only a statistic, but it led to a tool for development. And I would do weekly film with every single defenseman. I'd have five to seven clips, a few positive, a few negative. Um, and I'm a big believer in deliberate practice. So it, it allowed me to say, you know, we want to work on this until we get it. And then we'll move on to the next thing. We layer it on so that by March we're clicking in all cylinders. Um, and it really, it turned a weakness into a strength and really rounded out my, um, my coaching abilities, which gave me more confidence to kind of go off and, and do a head coaching job. Um, and as a, as a result, we just kind of click together. We, we think like-minded, we both hate losing, feel like we have to win. And, um, and we, boy, we upset a really good Ohio team um, in the finals of that playoff on an overtime drop pass that you'll never forget. Even in the national tournament, we got completely outplayed in the semis by Oklahoma. I'm sure Peter would tell you the same. And we just found a way because we were good defensively, good and go good in net, similar to how we are this year. Um, and we just found a way. And next thing you know, drop pass, pink, bar down, and oh my gosh, we're going to the national championships. And it was crazy, man. It was a fun ride. Wow. Wow. And then what, what was it that caused you to want to become a head coach? Well, I, I, I'd been talking to Chico about doing it for quite some time and um, I probably should have left a year or earlier, but I literally, I'm not, I'm not joking. The reason I stayed one more year was I needed to soak up a little more from him and I didn't feel like I fully understood his penalty kill. Um, and so I'm like, I, I got to do one more year. And we knew we had a really good team coming back next year. Um, I remember the very first team meeting, I, I remember saying to the team, um, we're going to win a national championship this, this year, not next year, not beyond. And they didn't know I was leaving, but I was committed to it and getting one more year in. And that was the team to do it. And, um, we, we came close. The, uh, when, then, then you got the nod or, or you, I guess you, you searched out head coaching opportunities. What was it yeah. about um, Arizona? Because I'm sure you had some other opportunities elsewhere, you know, especially up there in the uh, upper Midwest. What was it about yeah. uh, the desert that, that uh, appealed to you over those other gigs? Well, um, I actually, again, through failures, um, Ohio declined to interview me. Um, Adrian declined to interview me. Um, the only interview offer I got was Peoria and the NA3 they ended up going with a, a local guy who played pro out there and came back and he took over. Um, and so I was literally down to the Arizona job. Um, and I'd done a Skype interview. I should send you a picture of, of <laughs> I had every statistic and note possible in front of me around my laptop. Um, and I like gave it everything I had because I had to get a job and, and what a rare opportunity it was here. Um, I actually found out about the job at the national tournament um, through talking to Greg Powers. And, and so that's what tipped me off and, and he kept me in the loop. And, um, I literally did my, I got flown. Then I got flown out there from the Skype. I did my, it was an all day, 8 AM to 5 PM interview. It was a process. It was interesting. Um, and then I didn't hear from anybody for two or three weeks and it was like coming up on August. So I literally had moved on in my mind and been like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Um, nothing's happening here. And then I got a phone call and I thought it was a, 
I thought it was this uh, thanks, but no thanks. And the, and uh, Brendan Gale said, you know, we'd like to offer you the job. And I remember literally saying, really? Like, oh, okay. <laughs> I kind of moved on mentally. Um, and I went and high-fived uh, Sarah and, and said, we're moving to the, the desert. And I, I about broke her hand and um, obviously very grateful for this university and that opportunity. Yeah, well, t- tell me what that was like because you're, like I said, from the, from the Grand Rapids area. Um, yeah, played played in in Springfield. You you're coaching there in Chicago, and now all of a sudden you're moving to the American West. Yeah, it was crazy, and we had a you know at the time we had had a, like a two year old boy, um, and so that's an intimidating move and an expensive move, and um, and a reality of we're really doing this, and um, it was exciting and and scary and. Um, you know, I was aware of the, I was aware of the Arizona program and what it was going to take. And I knew there was going to be some really rough times ahead, um, because I knew that the culture had to change. I also knew if it ruffled enough feathers and I had to go, that's fine. I didn't, I didn't want to be a part of that anyway. So, um, I had prepared myself knowing that we're going to have to go backwards a bit to go forwards, but that I was going to stay strong in my values and what I believe it's going to take to build a championship team there. Uh, and I can't tell you, well, I probably have called you a few times just on how dark <laughs> some of those days were. Yeah. Um, and it was probably worse than I thought. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that it's really what makes this conference championship so special is that, that journey itself. Well, that let's, I mean, let's talk about that. The state of the program was, uh, the cupboard was kind of bare. Sean Hogan was the previous coach at, at U of A before you, he left yep. to take the Ohio job Yep. and, um, you know, he had cut two kids. Last name was Hogan. Uh, didn't yep. even make his team. And uh, as I said, the the roster, the, the talent level there was kind of bare when you got there. Yeah. Um, so talk about that, the, the state of the U of A program, because they play in a wonderful facility. They've yeah. obviously got a great climate. Yeah. Um, you know, a great atmosphere around there. The, it's a, the team is a Tucson team. Um, in, in the, the folks there in Tucson love the U of A Wildcats. Yeah, they do. Uh, but the program itself was kind of, uh, it, it was, it was suffering at the time when, when you got the call to come be the man. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I you know, gee, again, I, I knew I had to, they, they had their two top scorers were leaving and I'd done the math on it and they were like 40% of their scoring and it was like Merms and, uh, I forget the other kid's name now, but. Um, I remember being like, okay, so Korea and Solani are gone. Um, there's a bad party culture there, and I don't have a ton of talent coming in on this recruiting class. And I remember just being like, let's uh, batten down and see if we can defend, and um, that's what we tried to do. But um, certainly my first year was a lot of learning, um, mistakes, um, questioning you know, my own myself at times. There's obviously a lot of defiance and pushback from kids who – who don't want to be pushed, who don't want to be held accountable in a, in a culture that doesn't have that um, and doesn't think they need that. Um, there was a lot of entitlement of, you know, we get to play in front of these big crowds and we want we want to keep selling tickets, but we don't want to put in the work to be successful. And, uh, boy, I hated every second of that. Um, I'm not going to lie. It was, a, it was a really, really tough year. We made a push to be fairly close to getting into that tournament, but not quite. Um, and I was okay with it. We were, we were not a t- team that should have spent the money to make a trip. Uh, and at that time, um, you know, I was ready to turn the page and start recruiting anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I remember for sure. you, you were, you're absolutely right about the, uh, the entitlement and, and you're blessed and cursed at the same time with that building because yes. fan support in the building 
it's great, but it's also very, um, uh, besides just the expense that goes with it, it's, uh, yeah. it's very attractive in, in kind of, um, encapsul encapsulating for the guys that get caught up in the oohs and the ahs of the crowd as opposed to playing the game. You have no idea. I mean, we, man, it was like, it was a glorified men's league is basically what I had. And, and I would, the players would sit there and be like, why aren't we marketing more? Why aren't we selling more tickets? And I had to be like, guys, we just lost our 34th straight game to Arizona state. That's how you fill up stadium. Look at every stadium in the country. You got to win. Like, don't put the, don't put the cart before the horse here. I think that's kind of my, my problem with some of the, this age right now, I guess I'm going to get on my old man's soapboxes. You know, a lot of kids these days, they, they say, give me the muscles and I'll go to the gym. And it's just not how it works. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that was frustrating. Yeah. One of the, I, I remember going down to the U of A games, um, and before the game, uh, there would always be a couple of U of A players that would <laughs> get out yeah. on the ice. They're just out there in their shoes, their tennis shoes, shorts, and whatever. But they put their gloves and their stick. Uh, Look go at me. Like, and yep, yeah, and they'd just be out there passing the puck or you know shooting the puck off the boards. And it always happened to be at the time when the doors would open and the crowd would come in. Yep. And I thought, you know what, this kid's—he's not going to be. He's, his mind's not in the game. His mind is on getting the recognition and the uh, uh, appreciation from the crowd. And yeah. uh, uh, so I, it's, I don't see that anymore. I don't see that anymore. And I'm sure that there's a reason for that. Yeah. We, I mean, we had to strip it down and, you know, rebuild the culture, rebuild the room. I mean, you'll notice I, I'm, I'm at a point with the program where I can change it back, but you'll, you'll notice, and I don't know if I'm allowed to even do this, but we stopped putting even nameplates on the back of our jerseys because it wasn't about the name on the back. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, the kids I have now, I mean, especially this team right now, it's a really special group. Um, you know, they're all, they're all playing for each other. There's not an ego in my room. These guys want to put in the work to do something special. And, it, you know, again, with our limited ice and to be in a conference with a, somebody like UCO and to have accomplished what we did without, you know, we had one practice last month. That's, that's insane to have accomplished what we did. And, um, all, all, uh, it all goes all credit goes to the players and, and what they do and when you when you build a culture like that it runs on its own and um, I, I've always been a firm believer it's harder to build it than to sustain it and once you get it there you just got to keep feeding it and that's what we're trying to do gonna feed the monster well you, you now you've run into another challenge too since uh, you've, yeah. you've built the program up but you also now share the building with the uh, American Hockey <laughs> League team the Roadrunners yeah and that can be uh, a challenge because you have one sheet of ice in Tucson uh, and two teams. And yeah. one team that uh, they they basically call the shots, and so you get kind of what's left over there. Yeah, definitely. State. And it's a it's a it's a marketing. I mean, you know, this job is so little hockey. Unfortunately, it's so much business and marketing and sponsorships and contracts and um, networking and you know all that stuff. And um, it has created a significant challenge the last two years. I'm happy to say I think we're going to uh, turn that around this year financially. It looks like we're in a much better spot, and we've made some adjustments. Um, but the Roadrunners have been a challenge, to say the least, um, and it's been frustrating. And then, you know, to add to it, I don't even know if people know this, um, we had an arena football team, and they start their very first game this weekend. And this morning we skated from 8 to 9.30 this morning, and we literally had to empty our room because that arena football team's got to have a locker room, right? So um, just another example of, uh, it, it's a little crazy sometimes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I had no clue that, uh, I don't terrible name football. too. Terrible name. Oh gosh. Oh, the geez. sugar skulls. 
The sh- <laughs> and I, I, this is a good environment for me to say this. I probably wouldn't say this on the news stations around here, but I think it's a terrible name because of the reputation of our university and the um, the partying ways of of you know a lot of rich kids with with money and free time and cocaine is a prevalent thing like a lot of college campuses. So when I hear sugar skulls, it sounds to me like look at those kids over by the the jungle gym doing a bunch of coke. What a bunch of sugar skulls! Wow. That's what it sounds like to me. But yeah. anyways, here nor there. Yeah, geez, I had uh, that. That doesn't exactly evoke a lot. You know, football. You want a, a lot of toughness. And uh, yeah. the sugar skulls don't exactly you know, evoke that. They seem more like the skids from Letterkenny than anything. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what they're going for. Yeah, what what a deal. Well, let's talk quickly about the team that you got because you've got some really yeah. uh, you got some really great players starting yeah. there in net with Anthony Churro, um, who you who you found. Uh, a local kid. He's there out of the Phoenix area, but you've also got Anthony Cusinelli from New Jersey. You got uh, the Marshall brothers from uh, from the St. Louis area, and then you have uh, you also have some some solid D men uh, there. What Manny's from the Fe- Manny Rose from the Phoenix area. Where's yep. Olnick from? He's a twenty four. Ca- he's a California kid. We got out of the NCDC. Okay. Um, yep. You got uh, some. The- you got some good players. T- talk a little bit about the. The recruiting, if you will, and you've changed the culture around, but now you're 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 attracting these uh, better players to come from all over the nation to Tucson. Yeah, I mean, I think a, a lot of coaches would tell you um, the biggest thing to recruiting is word of mouth, and and to me, that's why it's so critical that you're set establishing that foundation um, and culture in your program because you you want like-minded kids attracting like-minded kids. Um, recruiting is a lot easier now than day one. Obviously, I think the success um, brings some attention. But, you know, I think a lot of kids, um, you know, Jones and Hall who played for the NE3 Blues team there, you know, they're sharing pictures of their uh, the conference championship trophy and then and then the cactus and the 80-degree weather in January and then the four or 5,000 fans um, up, up in the crowd there. And then, by the way, you get an unbelievable business or engineering degree. And um, I really – I really don't know that uh, you can find a package like that at any level, including Division One, that you can get all those things at once. It's really uh, a really special experience. And again, I played at Fredonia. I loved it there. Um, but after seeing this and seeing all this, it just makes me think, wow, um, why didn't I look at something like this? Because it's just, just an incredible experience. But, uh, you know, first and foremost, um, we recruit character um, and work ethic. Um, I don't have the budget to go fly to the Midwest and watch all these games. So I rely heavily on, on film, um, and references. And I would probably call, well, I'd say four or five references for every kid I'm looking at. And you're probably looking at 300 plus kids, you know, so that's a lot of phone calls and a lot of asking questions that have nothing to do with hockey. What is, you know, what matters to this kid? Um, how does he respond to coaching, um, you, you know, how, how does he treat his teammates? How does he carry himself off the ice? Okay, now let's talk about his game. Um, and I think if you do that, you're going to build a foundation of good people and, and people that are there for the, the right reason. And it really it builds something special uh, amongst your room. Um, and then when you can add talent to, um, you know, the sky's the limit. So uh, how did you attract Anthony Cusinelli to Tucson? Oh, boy, I hate to discredit myself, but Cus contacted me. Um, he was a gift, a gift from the heavens. Um, yeah, he had reached out. You know, I'm looking at a couple of low-end Division One schools, but had interest in your school um, and the business program. And so we started talking, and um, uh, and that you know, obviously, I I'd actually had a terrible. Here's a funny story: a terrible stretch of New Jersey kids. 
to the point that I started wondering, do I want to bring in any many more New Jersey kids? Um, and so then it happened to be that then he, this kid, Cusinelli, contacts me. I look up his numbers in the North American League. I'm like, oh, boy, okay, he can score. Uh, and then you start watching film. You're like, okay, looks good. Um, you keep digging and you find out he's a accountable kid. He's he's credible. He's humble. Um, couldn't say enough about the person that he is and beyond hockey. Um, and then all of a sudden it was like, you know, okay, uh, the, the conversations advanced and it was a good fit for both of us. And, um, you know, you kind you need that one kid to blow up your, your team and your roster. You know, I think ASU did it with that. What was that kid's name? Young Trevor young or something like that defenseman they had. Uh-huh. He was the gatekeeper to more recruits to, to leading them to where they are now. And, um, sometimes that's what it takes is that one kid. And, uh, yeah, we got, we got really lucky. Um, and I didn't mess it up, put it that way. He, uh, well, yeah, you got you got really lucky. Now he's uh, got you to nationals last year after a little bit of a drought, and yep. got you to nationals this year, or was a key component to getting you there this year. And now Absolutely. he's over in Russia, um, uh, competing for uh, Team USA in the Winter World University Games. Um, that's got to be kind of special—the first Arizona player to go over to the World uh, University Games. Is that the first uh, U of A player yeah. ever? Yeah, it is, and and couldn't have, again couldn't have found a better kid. Um, if you ask him. Anything about himself, he'll deflect it to the others and give credit to the others. Um, it's just, you know, I texted him the other night because I, I stayed up uh, or I got up at 5 a.m. or whatever it was to watch them play Russia. What an incredible experience that was. Um, watch them play Slovakia this morning at, or I guess it was last night. It was like midnight. Um, yep. And, you know, he, we've been FaceTiming most days and hearing about his experience. He just, you couldn't be happier for a good kid. And, um, you know, it's good to see good things happen to good people. And, and I know he's, he's loving it. Um, and taking it all in, and uh, and I think that team's done pretty well considering um, you know they're competing for the most part. And uh, man, I just I'm jealous. I'm excited for him, and uh, you know I, he's only a sophomore, so I hope uh, hope he gets another opportunity there in Switzerland, whatever the next one is. Well, you've you've let's uh, uh, d- does your better players for your first few games have now turned into uh, coaches? They're helping you out. You've got uh, John Hogan was an assistant for you for a couple of years, and now he's yep. coaching out in St. Louis with his own program. Yeah. You have uh, his brother, Toppy, one of your better scorers. Now yep. he's on the bench with you wearing a bow tie. So yep. um, <laughs> do, do, you see, do you see any – uh, do you see anything in Cusinelli or anybody else that's on your team that has the potential to keep the, uh, the, the Berman coaching tree growing? Um, you know, I don't know because, you know, anybody who says I'd like to get into coaching, my first thing I say to them is you'd better really want to do it. Um, and I make sure they understand that because I, I think I told John this when he, we started talking about it. Um, it's everything you hope, but it's nothing like you think. Um, it is frustrating. It's challenging. There's a lot of long nights. You, you really had been, and you're not making much money. So you'd really better want to do this. Um, if I had to tell you out of this group who I think would make the best coach, to me, it's really easy, actually. Um, Anthony Churro is is the most engaged, smartest hockey mind I've ever been around as a player. Um, you, if, you can't tell from the stands, but he is always communicating, barking. He sees the game in a really special way. Like, I, like if there's too many men on the ice for the other team, he'll be the first person that you'll hear calling it because he's so engaged into every little detail. 
Um, huh. I talk to Churro like an assistant coach. I really do. I call him in because I know he's on the ice from the crease, getting a different perspective about our rotations on our PK on our power play. What are you seeing? You got any ideas? And I love, he always has great things to say. Um, he's not wearing a letter, but that kid is an absolute captain in our team. Um, and I never thought I would consider a goalie for a captain, honestly. Um, but he, he just, I couldn't say enough about that kid. Very, very nice. Very nice. Well, just keep 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 the bow ties. I don't know if that's a Berman thing or if that's a Hogan thing. Oh, absolutely that. not. I hate that bow tie, and I'm I'm okay with saying that top. You look like Tucker Carlson, and drives me nuts. <laughs> I was going to say keep keep Churro or whoever else away from the bow ties because uh, yeah, and, and we've been lucky to have that kind of help to have Toppy to have John. You know, Toppy now is a pro golfer and, and doing great. Um, one of the hardest days of my coaching. Um, process here was when Toppy told me he wanted to get into golf and he wanted to get on the U of A team. And so I had to basically go knock on the U of A golf coaches and say, like, I had to explain this kid and, and say, you got to take him. You don't understand. He'll figure it out. He's, he's really uh, got a strange gift for, for figuring stuff out because he's so determined. Uh, and I'm like, you know, I don't really want to lose my best player at that time, um, but you really need to take him. And that was tough, but I knew it was best for him. And um, and he's gone on now to have a pro golfing career and, and continues to thrive and um, like we expect. And then obviously you see big John, um, doing what he's doing and he's already making his mark on that program from scratch. It was impressive what he did in year one, starting with nobody. I mean, he was, we're in Naples and I'm trying to get him to calm down and have a beer. And he's like, I got to make a recruit phone call. And I kept poking at him like, dude, take a, take a one day break here. Um, but that, that's all paid off. He's got a really nice program there at Maryville. Uh, they got a new rink coming. I know recruiting's gone well this summer and, uh, I'm looking forward to see what he's done. But, uh, I think, you know, to kind of go full circle on what we're talking about here, I definitely had one of those moments last week where I get off the phone with John. He's excited about his recruit. Talked to Toppy. He had finished sixth in a tournament and got a nice little winnings. Um, you know, I'm watching Cousinelli and Team USA, and then we're, we're celebrating a Cactus Cup and a conference championship, and it's just one, it was one of those moments where I got to sit back, reflect, and say it is so cool to see the – impact the program makes on everybody else and what it creates and that that ripple effect and that wave um it's it's just really special it really is it really is yeah i noticed one of the things uh when when it was time to when the game was over the final buzzer went it was two to nothing win for uh for u of a the team went out there onto the ice to celebrate and you kind of sat back there on the bench to soak it all in and uh yeah you could tell there was uh some heavy reflection going on there yeah, yeah, big time. Um, I try to live ethnocentrically, you know, for other people. And um, that was my reward to watch my team jump off the bench um, and celebrate that. I mean, I just wanted them to have that moment. I, I've been fortunate enough to win a couple championships in my day. And you just you don't forget that those things, those people, and you especially don't forget that moment. Uh, and I, I that's that's all I wanted out of it. I just wanted to be able to see those guys um, experience that. And so it was, it was really special. Very, very nice. All right. Well, hey, we've talked we've talked an awful lot about hockey. I can't let you go, though. You mentioned before you were playing you, you, a musician that's a different life in Fredonia, <laughs> and then you played at Wrigleyville. What's what's the weapon of choice for Chad Berman in terms of what, what do you like to play? I mean, I've seen, Instrument? seen pictures of you with an yeah, with an acoustic guitar. Yeah. What do you what do you wield? I mean, I, I play like an ukulele. I've messed around with a piano. I'm not a piano player, but I'd like to be. I just would like to get one and learn. Uh, I'm a self-taught guitar player. Um, I'm not a soloist. I'm a rhythm player and a singer, a songwriter. Um, so I've got a, a Taylor uh, 714 acoustic um, um, 
I just enjoy the aspect of songwriting, singing, um, that kind of stuff and being a part of a band. And, um, basically I was, I was, uh, in a band, my, my bass and drum player were from, um, uh, you, like Uganda and, and they were, they were crazy, crazy talented, way better than me. I got lucky there. Um, so I was in a band and then I was also with a, in another band with a friend of mine that I had met off like Craigslist. And then I was also doing cover music in Wrigleyville. So like, if you went to a Cubs game, you, you might've seen me before or after on Wrigley, in Wrigleyville, like in the bars there, Cubby bear, red Ivy, all those spots there. I was basically playing music, trying to make some money, trying to, trying to catch on and, um, and do my thing there. And, um, it was a really interesting experience. Very, very nice. You still play or do you still play around town or you just, uh, serenade the kids to bed with the guitar yeah no i um i sell out my garage on the weekends hopefully after a big win that's pretty much how I've, i i get out i got two <laughs> kids so right i don't get a lot of free time i think my players secretly uh make fun of me about it because i'm always like you guys enjoy the night i'm gonna be in my garage um and i just i still love playing i still play all the time but i'll just grab a six pack sit in the garage and play and uh learn new songs write new songs uh, i've not performed i don't really have a desire to perform um I, I'd consider it. I just, uh, I, I never, I've never felt comfortable being the person. Like I felt more comfortable in a band, being a part of a group, than I was. Hey, look at me! And I think the cliche of uh, of a musician or a singer songwriter in particular is that you're just doing it to meet girls. And I legitimately love the craft of it and still do. And so, um, I'd like to write songs, but I don't need a record deal. I don't need an album. I'd like to just kind of put music out on almost anonymously, honestly, and um, and hopefully, you know, reach people that way. Very nice. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Chad, hey, appreciate uh, you taking some time out of your day. And um, I know every now and then you give me grief about uh, listening to the podcast. And so I figured, <laughs> you know what? Um, you win a championship, you get a big ass trophy. We'll bother you and get you on the podcast. That's awesome. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you doing the podcast. I think any uh, promotion and uh, that we can get for our conference, it's a great conference. And, and for the ACHA is a good thing. And um, as I've told you in private, I really appreciate all you do as our commissioner. Uh, we we have the best hands down and um, just I really enjoy being a part of this conference. One of my favorite parts of it is just getting to know all these coaches and feeling a part of this little sorority or fraternity, whatever you want to call it, I guess. Um, it's been fun to uh, kind of pick everybody's brains and have a little fun with people and um, still get to compete. So grateful for everything you do. Very good. Well, hey, appreciate the kind words. And uh, the check is in the mail. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I'll, I'm lo I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks down in Frisco, Texas. Number nine, Arizona is going to take on Liberty. I'm not going to ask you any predictions. I don't want to give those uh, folks in Lynchburg any uh, bulletin board material. But Yeah, uh, we got a challenge like the, there for sure. Yeah, you got a challenge, but I also like the path that, you, that lies ahead of you. So oh, really? Because after that's Lindenwood. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to touch them. I, I guess you yeah, got to you know, be the best at some point, but... Um, so yeah, I am actively working on both teams right now on film and getting both of those guys, those, both teams broke down already. When I was, uh, when I'm sure you saw it too, when you were growing up, when I was growing up, there was a wrestler out there and he said to be the man, you got to beat the man. So, yeah. uh, well, and I, I, you know, I think we are the kind of team that can pull off an upset, um, just because when you have churro, you always have a chance. And I just, I love my, my, my group's, um, shot blocking mentality. I think we're a tough draw on a one and done. Um, I think in a seven game series, it would be tough, uh, but anything can happen in a one and done. And I love the format, but uh, 
certainly a challenge ahead for us, but I, I can't wait for that tournament. It's just really special. My, my favorite moment's always that first practice and feeling the buzz of people coming in and out and excited to see what Texas has to offer and excited to hop on a bus and not a plane for that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're so kind. You're so kind. Yeah. Alrighty, big man. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, thanks for being with us here on the WCHL podcast. Take care. Thanks so much, Chris.